today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Time for the Chiefs Town Hall. Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Gert will join us. And, uh, yes, we're going to open the lines up in just a couple of seconds here. 905-645-3221. 645-3221. Star 9900 is toll-free if you're on your cell phone. You can reach us by email, bkelly at 900chml.com. And on Twitter, at CHML Bill Kelly. Questions, comments for the, Ham- for the Chief of Police for the City of Hamilton. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about public safety. We can talk about police budgets, the number of different initiatives that are going on. Uh, and we'll go to your calls in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I always, and I, I mentioned this yesterday when we had Mayor Eisenberger on, and I'll do it again today. Uh, when we do these town halls, it's great to get your feedback, and, and we encourage that. Uh, but don't wait till the last five or six minutes of the show to call in, because there's just no way we can accommodate the big rush that comes. Call now. Uh, we'll get you on the air in just a couple of minutes and uh, give you your opportunity to talk with Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Kirk. Chief, welcome to the program. Good to have you with us again. Morning, Bill. Good to be here. Virtually, Virtually. As, as always, though. Uh, one of these days we'll be back in studio, but uh, we're not quite sure exactly when that is. Uh, how is everybody holding up as, as we go through this? this? We've talked about frontline workers, and certainly uh, your staff fall into that category. I, an awful lot of pressure uh, is on everybody these days, uh, especially the first responders such as this, uh, uh, and a great deal of stress. And we've talked about some of the mental health issues that are going on. Uh, is, is the team coping with this? Are there assets and, and there, are there things in place to help people to, de- to deal with these? Uh, if I were to be brief, I'd say yes, yes, and yes, but I'll give you some context. Sure, please. Uh, so I think because of the focus on the PPE right from the outset, the personal protective equipment, yeah. uh, we went to great strides between disinfectant wipes, N95 masks or half mass respirators, change the way we deal with uh, potential prisoners. Uh, we take them for medical treatment if there's any assertion around COVID, and quite often it has not been the case, which is good. Uh, both for the you know the, our client and also our members. Uh, quite frankly, the uh, morale of the front line is excellent right now. Um, I'm, I'm quite impressed by it, given you know the concerns and trepidations a lot of people have, particularly in the health sector. Uh, but our people are continuing to interact, to do their jobs, to do the calls for service. Um, they're also doing because of uh, you know declines in certain other areas, a lot more proactive work. Uh, leading to, and I'm sure you've seen it, there's drug arrests, guns being taken off the streets, um, and we're talking about sizable seizures as well. So that's largely our investigative units and the the heat units out of the division. Uh, But again, the day-to-day, as you know, we're doing project recalibrate because of the speeding, and, you know, you've got that instance in Burlington uh, with a guy doing, you know, it's asserted at this point, 308K, and that, boy, that's fast. I, I listened on your newscast today about... Uh, James Hinchcliffe talking about it as a professional driver. Yeah. The hazards. So, um, anyway, yeah, the, the morale's been good. Our people are out doing their thing. And uh, fortunately, and knock on wood, we've had one member uh, prove positive, and he's recovered since that time. Uh, but we're certainly take all the steps when uh, it's possible that the people we've interacted with do have it. But that was surprising. I saw that stat as well, Chief. And given the interaction that uh, that the police are the police services are having with the public in so many different facets, uh, the fact that there was only one positive test so far is is, is fabulous. It's great news. But uh, it, I, once again, it's I, it goes all the way back to I guess taking the, the the precautions that we're supposed to all be taking in situations like this. Yeah, and I mean, much like EMS, and to some degree. I mean, they've been dealing with uh, SARS and uh, it could be tuberculosis or whatever. So they've been using PPE. We issued it about 10 years ago. 
uh, the half-mast respirators, predominantly for toxic fires, car fires, but also sudden deaths where you have some toxicity potentially in the air. So, uh, I mean, we've been trained on that. Uh, we do have both the surgical masks and the N95, depending on the circumstance. But we've also put out videos uh, about best way to stop and approach a vehicle uh, while you're still interacting with the person. If you don't have to handle certain items, don't. Uh, but to your point, we know that uh, other than in the seniors' homes, it is community contact where it's spreading. So uh, I'm hoping uh, the PPE distribution and our steps to date have worked. And I think on the horizon, you know, we're all moving to that new norm. Uh, I suspect that that will become a standard practice in terms of how we deal with uh, potentially infectious people at any time. So, you know, it's, it's the new shifting norm. So I, I'm happy to date, and uh, hopefully we can stave it off. And uh, as the curve flattens, um, get back to a, a little more normalcy on these things. You mentioned uh, a rather significant drug bust that was uh, announced uh, just a couple of days ago, in fact. Uh, there are those that would have thought that, well, with the border being closed, essentially it is anyway, to anything but commercial traffic, it might have been more difficult, but uh, th th this business just seems to keep on going. It, it, and I, I know this was a, it takes a long time for you to, to actually do the research and the investigation before you actually make a bus like this, but uh, so I'm not so sure exactly how long these guys have been operating or at least doing what they were doing before you guys finally moved in on something like this. But uh, it's, it, it's, in as much as it's not business as usual, when it comes to an awful lot of people, for instance, on, on things like the drug squad and others, Chief, I guess it is business as usual. Yeah, from our end, and, and unfortunately for the illicit drug trade, of course, they don't play by the rules, and never have, um, so they're not really taking into account all those measures, and, you know, whether the distribution is crossing at uh, um, uncontrolled borders or other things, or flying, or all those other methods that they use uh, could still be transport trucks that are still freely flowing across the border. And really, you know, that inspection uh, falls to both the American side and the Canadian side. On the Canadian side, it's CBSA. Um, so you've still got a fairly high volume of traffic. And then what you've also got is people at home uh, who may or may not be addicts uh, still require uh, kind of that the, the drugs, right? So uh, to your point, we're carrying on business. We're making those seizures. And unfortunately, and I know there have been a few articles published on it, yeah, you've got the deadliness of the COVID, but you've also got the deadliness of fentanyl, carfentanyl, the mix, you know, purple heroin, all those, uh, you know, monstrous uh, chemical substances. Uh, that threat still continues. And, uh, you know, towards that end, we're still administering naloxone uh, out on the street and, and effectively. Uh, but then we've got to take our members additional considerations about droplets uh, and uh, all those type of things. So we've issued goggles. We've issued... Uh, as I say, the PPE. Um, so they're taking those extra steps when they actually have to administer naloxone, but we're still doing it. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, the, the focus has clearly been on COVID for the, the last number of weeks now, as, as it should be. Uh, it's the clear and present danger right in front of us. But uh, I wanted to ask you about the opioid crisis because we, as we know in this area, in the Hamilton area, have a, a, a significant problem here. Of course, our, our numbers are larger than the provincial averages uh, in many other cities that are still dealing with that as well. Uh, is it still prevalent? Is it still something that, that's front and center, especially? For, well, it's not really a, a localized area. It's really happening all over the city, but I know that there's a, a preponderance of it in the downtown area. Well, yeah, and I mean, if you look to the, uh, the, the causes why that is, and we've talked about this in terms of uh, the social services that are provided 
by the city of Hamilton as a, you know, we can either say it's a small big city or a big small city, um, but we offer quite a bit of services. And you can see, for example, you know, the work that Paul Johnson is doing in terms of homelessness, it's not just shutting down certain things, but offering alternatives where people can go and be safe. And I understand some of the constraints, uh, whether it's mental health issues, people don't feel safe at certain uh, places where they're off the street, but at the same time, you know, Hamilton's been pretty progressive on the social services. And, I, you know, I've got to say for our social navigator uh, who continued to work with this and, you know, the doctors who are working downtown to try and ensure the homeless people um, do have a safe spot to go to, and whether it's, uh, you know, uh, public washrooms or safe place. Uh, so we're still focused on that. And I think because of the social services that we have, you do tend to get more people who are seeking those services and some have addictions issues. A question that I, I'm just trying to dig it up here as we're going through this. I'm obviously working from home here, so i got stacks of paper here there. Uh, but in anticipation of, of your, your visit with us here today, they were asking about uh, the court situation and, uh, and, and the officers that are dedicated to, to courtroom uh, duty, to security there. Uh, since they're basically not doing a whole lot these days, have those officers been redeployed? Well, actually, they are still doing. There's actually, there was uh, just last week five courtrooms running. We continue to make arrests. We do have to have bail court to decide on if people are released with conditions or surety. Uh, we have been releasing them. And this was a change in the criminal code and the policy of the Attorney General last year, where they've given us increased uh, powers to release at the scene with certain conditions. We're moving that direction uh, anyway. The other thing we were moving in the direction here locally was video equipment where you wouldn't have to transport uh, necessarily from uh, the detention center. And, of course, that's become uh, quite fortuitous in terms of the use because it means those prisoners do not have to be transported in cases where it's just a remand to a different date. Where you actually have trials and things like that, to your first question, business has changed. Uh, those cases will have to be handled at some point. And, you know, people requesting trials, which is their, uh, their right to do so, um, we're still going to have to run those courts at some point in time. So really, we're at the, uh, we're at the I'll say whim, but it's not really, uh, what the courts are doing, what the judges here locally decide to do, what the Ministry of the Attorney General is doing. And that's not our ministry, but we obviously serve those. Um, so our full-time staff is pretty much... Uh, deployed, but where we, you know, are able to transport or do things like that, we've repurposed some of the people. Our part-time members do not have the same volume of work, and that just stands to reason. So, but I think it's an opportunity, really, and I think both MAG, which is the Ministry Attorney General, and the Solicitor General is looking at um, how can we modernize all these things. So I think for certain people who are resistant, now they're seeing the benefits of doing video remands, it's more efficient, um, less intrusive for uh, the person before the courts. It moves things along quicker. Uh, yeah, you got some technology issues, but once you get accustomed to those, um, which we all are, um, then it should expedite things. And I think you're seeing that in lots of businesses just beyond uh, the courts right now. Well, we've had the discussion, and I'm sure you have uh, with police services as well, Chief, about uh, how things have evolved. And, and obviously, because of the circumstances that we're in right now, as you said, you're using video more. Uh, I know you have used it in the past uh, for certain circumstances, but now it seems to almost be the thing that we have to lean to it. Uh, 
when we come out of this, uh, do you anticipate that, that there's going to be a reevaluation that, hey, maybe we don't need to be doing these transportations? Maybe the video thing is going to become more prevalent? In other words, we did this out of necessity, but it seems to work, so why don't we just continue to do it? Is, it, is that discussion going on? Actually, in the early days, we had that discussion because often, and uh, you know, when I was down at FBI, they talked about the Japanese symbol for uh, crisis, and the definition is dangerous opportunity. So you've got the two dimensions. Yes, there's danger in terms of what can go bad, but there's also opportunity. I think most businesses are seeing that now. We're alive to the issue from the outset. One of the things we did very early was handle our priority three and four calls, where, you know, it's not a crime in progress, it's not emergent, it's not life-threatening. Can we handle it a different way? So we're doing it by phone calls with our sworn personnel. And, of course, you know, they would make decisions out on the street and provide advice or direction. Well, now, you know, not every case, but most cases, they're able to offer up that advice, and we're finding efficiencies there. We're finding, and we knew there would be efficiencies. You know, I recognize the work of Deputy Bergen, where the video stuff, he was pushing that agenda forward uh, almost as soon as he got here. So when you've got the infrastructure in place, which is the hard work, um, then when this kind of dangerous opportunity comes along, you know, now you can use some of those efficiencies. So, you know, we're always looking for the efficiencies, effectiveness. We understand, and you mentioned the budget. There's constraints on budget all the time. If we can do things in a better manner that still provides quality service, we're always looking to those opportunities. So really, this is kind of like an accelerated experiment in a sense uh, where you can, you know, real-time try some new methods and see how they turn out. And in many cases, we found them uh, quite effective. Well, we've talked about budget pressures on the city, and clearly police services are under the same uh, pressures, I would think, as well, because of the, uh, the unexpected, uh, I guess, increase in workloads, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the city's going to have to go to the province and ask for money. Uh, when it comes down to operating expenses, uh, are you still, I, I don't want to use the word comfort level here, Chief, but uh, are you anticipating that there's going to be some, some added pressures on the budget that you didn't see four months ago when, when this was being discussed? Oh, definitely. And I mean, uh, you know, from the outset, we've heard both from uh, the federal level and provincial level about uh, them picking up the tab for the the PPE. So we've been tracking that very closely. We've tracked our COVID expenses, whether it's staffing, PPE, disinfection. Obviously, we're, we're, um, you know, when we've got somebody presents with COVID or says they do, we've cleaned out the cruiser through, uh, you know, specialized vendor who does that work and we've used them for other things where it's infectious that's added to costs um and i think it's the same all over not just us mm-hmm. um so we're, we're tracking that uh yes we know there'll be budget pressures uh in terms of savings you know there have been some marginal savings but the the point is we continue to do business continue to staff continue to provide the service and i know the the premier very early on talked about you know, if things degraded and chaos kind of took over, it's not what you want. So, uh, you know, from the outset, whether it's the EMPCA and the enforcement issues that flow from there, we've tried to work in an educated manner with the public to keep order. And you know what? Canadians are pretty good for that stuff, following the rules, understanding context. The vast majority do. And, you know, you've seen some stability in a very difficult time. I think the challenge will be, and certainly I know the Premier's aware of it, as we move to opening things again, and let's just look at, uh, for example, which parts of parks you could use or not use, it gets very complicated, and the rules shift 
almost on a daily basis, I'm not blaming anybody, it's just the nature of the business. But it does make it difficult for, uh, you know, are people aware what the restrictions are or not? Uh, obviously, bylaw does the bulk of the enforcement for the EMPCA. Um, but we, you know, on the social distancing and things like that, we're called upon too. And again, we focused on the educative aspects. Canadians are largely compliant. We've maintained at this point order, I think, within society. And, uh, you know, it's not just us, it's worldwide. So uh, exactly. we all profit to, to kind of follow uh, the rules and why that is. I know down in the States they've got some issues with mass gatherings and people mm-hmm. think it's a hoax. Uh, I guess until you see somebody who's actually got uh, the symptoms of COVID in very drastic format, and it's awful, um, you know, I, I think we have to do take it seriously. So Exactly. I want to pick up on that enforcement. I've got a bunch of other things I want to talk to as well, and we are going to go to phone calls. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Gert with us on the Chief's Town Hall. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Right now, it's the Chiefs Town Hall. Hamilton Chief of Police, Eric Gert, is with us here uh, to talk with you about the concerns you have for public safety and policing here in this community. 905-645-3221, star 9900. Emails, bkelly at 900chml.com, and on Twitter at chml bill kelly got a couple of tweets that i want to get to and some emails in a second and uh, we'll get to your phone calls in a few seconds uh chief just before the break you were starting to talk about uh, enforcement uh, of some of the uh well the rules and regulations that have been put in place uh, oftentimes by the provincial government but also by uh the municipal government here uh you've seen the stories chief i have certainly because we've talked about them and i've received a lot of input from uh, from some of our citizens about well the cops are overreacting they're doing this and you know the 800 dollar ticket why didn't they just do this like what these you know power grabs you've heard all this stuff before uh you mentioned a a phrase that uh i haven't heard in the conversation very often and that's education first uh i mean is it zero tolerance i mean because i'm getting the impression from what i'm hearing from some of the people uh that have complained about this that your officers are just walking over there and said hey you're not supposed to be here here's an 800 dollar ticket i i'm i don't profess to know everything that goes on and we're not there when these things happen but i'm i'm guessing that there's probably some dialogue that goes on before that yeah and we have we've taken an education approach whether it's on this show the town hall that i do um, with the mayor Um, we've only issued 38 tickets overall and often it's the third or fourth time when you've interacted with a person and there are health hazards to it like let's not forget that Um, and we didn't set the fine that set fine is done uh, by the regional justice, uh, actually the uh, the uh, chief court justice, I believe, they set the fines. The province set them at a high rate for a particular reason. Uh, but again, if we get compliance, that's what we're looking for. And keep in mind that much of this uh, enforcement has fallen to bylaw enforcement. I don't want to speak for them, but I do know from communications I've done out to our organization that we're looking at education first, compliance, and then if you run into a situation where people, and some of them are trying to make a point, you can't do that. Okay, well, then you can take that before the courts and find out, you know, once they're up and running again, if the justice of the peace feel that your point of view is, in fact, correct. You always have the opportunity to go to court with these. So, you know, it's not done and over once you get assessed the fine. But obviously, we have a direction both from the province and our job as law enforcement uh, to make, you know, people comply with the laws. And if we can do it voluntarily, we want that. And if we can't, Sometimes you got to issue a ticket, just like, you know, we talk about speeding in the show all the time. Those laws have been in place for years and years and years. It's 
Some people choose not to follow them. Some at the rate three times uh, the rate of the uh, you know speed limit on the QEW. That's a potential hazard to people, and that's why we enforce it. Well, and I know that this is part and parcel, I guess, with the job when you're in police servicing. Uh, you know, if you disagree with something, I mean, you know, for instance, if you stop somebody who's walking on a golf course when they're not supposed to be on the golf course, uh, you'd say, well, I think it's a dumb rule. The officer may or may not agree. The fact is, it's the, that's the rule. And, and, you know, their job is to enforce them. I mean, you know, you can't get into a bait with, a debate with the people like that. Uh, same as I'm, I'm sure, you know, when you were doing traffic safety all those years ago, uh, you know, somebody says, well, I think it's dumb that that's the speed limit there. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but that's, you know, this is not where you're going to debate this. I mean, people have to understand that I, I guess your officers are the ones that are going to take the heat for this, but they don't set the rules. Correct. And you're at the pointy edge of the stick, right? But uh, you've also got the counterpoint narrative uh, from many callers, and I know we're getting uh, requests from our, our counselors, from members of the public. Uh, the speeding is uh, out of control. The stunt driving is out of control. It's why we've got, and many services do right now, we've got Project uh, Recalibrate. You know, yeah, let's let's talk about that. I wanted to bring that up. Uh, sure. Because I, I, I know I, I've, I've, I've talked to you about this every time we run into each other, Chief. I said, you know, the, my stretch of road, and you know where I live, up in, in the Ancaster area here. I said, it's, 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 it's Dragway Park. Uh, you know, and it used to be because, well, the first few weeks of COVID, there weren't very many cars. There, there's a lot more cars and a lot more traffic now, but boy, the speeding is still there. And, and it's yeah, happening so. all over the city. Yeah, and just in the short time we've done recalibrate, and keep in mind, we do traffic enforcement and have, uh, you know, every day that our members are working, it's a part of traffic safety. I've talked about it, I don't know how many times. Uh, you know, obviously, when they went to the board last year for the budget, that was a central piece. And we've got fatalities, as they say, that match the number of homicides in this jurisdiction. So whether you die by violent means by a gun or a knife or beating or in a car crash, the end result is the same. So 312 speeding tickets to date, 18 stunt driving. And that means they're going more than 50 kilometers over uh, the posted limit. So, you know, if you're in a residential 50K zone, means that person is driving at 100K, roughly 60 miles an hour, through residential, you know, that's why the fines are so heavy. The car is towed, and the people are going to be going to court for that to answer to the JP as to what particular rationale, whether you think they're dumb or otherwise, that you feel you should be able to drive at 100 kilometers per hour in whatever the particular zone is. So uh, about 66 other Highway Traffic Act offenses, anything from suspended driver to no insurance, and on and on it goes. But that's a pretty sizable number of speeding offenses still occurring to stunt driving the ones that really kind of uh, stick out for me. Absolutely. Well, to that end, let me uh, bring our next caller on uh, as we uh, continue the town hall here on 900 CHML on the Bill Kelly Show. Bill, you're first up for the chief today, and I think you want to talk about speeding, don't you? Yes, I do, uh, Bill. Go right ahead. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, Bill. Uh, I live on Mohawk Road, and between Rice and Magnolia, the stretch along here, each cars are doing here. You were talking 100 kilometers an hour. I would say that might even be low at times. Yes, so I'd agree with that. Broke. It's interesting you say that, because I do actually live up in that area. I was off duty, but I'm never really off duty. Um, I stopped a woman in a Tesla uh, that I clocked at uh, 100K, and at that time, you know, I stopped. The woman gave her a warning because I didn't have my ticket book with me, but uh, the whole point was. Um, you know, that's unacceptable in the speed, and it's a danger. A uh, person's explanation at the time, well, I, I don't really know the speed of my uh, cool new electric vehicle. Well, 
yeah, but if you're watching the rate of speed around the vehicles around you and you're doing 100K, you're not doing the speed. So, well, and yeah. what I found is smaller cars, cars with the this. straight mufflers, with you know, and they're really loud too. Also, you know. Yeah, which is a separate offense uh, in terms of uh, the mufflers and whether there's baffles. Uh, and we do check on that. But, yes, uh, any four-lane road, we're finding those speeds uh, picked up. And in my experience in traffic, again, any four-lane road, you tend to see speeds like that. And the, the roadway you've just described is exactly one of those. How would you handle a situation like that? Bill, thanks for the call, by the way. Uh, when you get a number of complaints about a particular area, do you do, you do a, a special attention to an area like that, Chief? Yeah, so we changed to a system on our neighborhood safety project in the early 2000s and incorporated, you may even work with them, Bill, beat crime managers. Yeah. And we divide them up into sectors across uh, the particular divisions. But what they do is handle recurrent complaints, whether the neighbor disputes, speeding, whatever the particular complaint is, both from the public and the counselors. And then what we do is go out and uh, measure and assess and force. We get back to either the member from the public who's complained or our counselors and say, this is the product of it. What I can tell you is, you know, and uh, our previous caller, Bill, is, is definitely accurate on that. Uh, in certain cases, we've gone out, and I've done it when I used to use radar, uh, to a residential street. Uh, sometimes I would even show the person the speeds, and, and some of it is just estimating speeds. They may actually be only 2 or 3K within the limit. Uh, but, I, you know, sadly, um, often these assessments of people speeding are quite accurate. So uh, we're continuing to do that work. We work through our beat crime manager. Of course, that goes up to the divisional commander. It's their responsibility uh, to both monitor and, you know, triage. Um, and we often work with high collision intersection uh, information as well to where we should deploy. Uh, so that's speeding, but there's also stop signs, there's red lights, there's distracted driving. Uh, unfortunately, we have no shortage of issues with driving behavior. Yeah, and by the way, because I mentioned we talk about this about my particular neighbor. I'm not that guy, by the way, that calls every week and says, what are you guys going to do about this? Uh, but I notice it, and we do talk about it anecdotally. But I have seen, to your point, Chief, I've seen your officers on our street here, just, you know, Kevin, look around. Uh, for those that don't know, the there's a stoplight just a few hundred feet away from us and a considerable amount of roadway where there's no stoplight or stop signs and i guess some people look at that as a, as a, a, a racing opportunity and it's, it's kind of crazy but uh there is enforcement that goes on there and it's good to see and it's it's you know if if you do see that as, as bill did and i'm sure there's a hundred other people listening right now that said hey what about my neighborhood uh let the police know uh because you will as you say pass that on and and, and there will be some enforcement in some way shape or form there yeah, and we've had, uh, through Councillor Jackson, a number of complaints around uh, Fennel Avenue, Upper Ottawa, um, you know, all those areas. Uh, again, predominantly were the four-lane roads, and just as you say, Bill, people tend to wind it out there, and uh, you know, it really annoys. This is that counterpoint when we started this discussion, that people think it's dumb. Well, I think the vast majority of citizens don't think it's dumb, and they think what's dumb is people speeding like that. Let's go back to the phones. Uh, Wendy, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show for the Chief of Police. Go ahead, Wendy. Yes, uh, good morning, Bill. Good morning, Chief. Hi. Um, I, I have about the same um, The reason why I'm calling is motorcycles that race down. I'm near the end of Fennel, close to the Mountain Brow Boulevard, and they just race one by one, these motorcycles and power cars. And, and I was there with my dog once on the corner of Mountain Brow and Fennel, one was making a turn, and he couldn't even control his own turn. He, he was wobbling, and I thought, 
if he was to flip out, would he slide into me? And and it's just, it's on the weekends especially. They race down, they come up um, Princeton by Sherwood High School, and then they go down again. And the one lovely Sunday where the weather was great, people in my neighborhood, we had to roll up our windows. The noise. It's also the noise of these motorcycles. It's its just terrible. And, and that speeding, I, I think it's dangerous. Um, there's, there's children playing on fennel. And, and like I say, when they can't control their vehicle and they slide on the lawn, I mean, yeah, if something's done, it's too late. I, I think if the cop was post there, the money he would make, <laughs> and also not abiding the four-way stop. A lot of them do the rolls, and I'm talking mostly uh, cars here, but they, they roll. No one does a stop. Yep, I really couldn't have said it any better, and particularly with the uh, danger presented, uh, not just to the rider on a motorcycle, but to your point, other people using the roadway. And often, you know, I'm not saying who the riders are, but they could be younger, uh, based on the experience level riding on a motorcycle. I rode a motorcycle in traffic. Um, I think probably the best advice from an experienced rider said, uh, just pretend that you're invisible because uh, people really don't see you. So if you've got that level of threat to begin with, then if you're driving at the speeds that the motorcycles are capable of, and they're, you know, a lot of them are racing machines. They're designed for the track in most port, Shannonville. Um, their capabilities far exceed uh, often what the human body uh, can hold or do or control. So uh, I don't disagree. They do present special challenges for us uh, of stopping these vehicles safely, and we do have regulations in terms of pursuit, what we can and can't do. Uh, but you have to be, uh, like much policing, a little craftier in terms of how you're going to do things or where you're going to stop people to do it in a safe manner that doesn't jeopardize others. So I certainly share your concerns uh, with uh, people, and there's many responsible motorcycle riders, don't get me wrong, uh, but those who are behaving like that, it presents a specific challenge. Wendy, appreciate your call. Thanks very much for uh, being part of the program today. I'm sensing a theme here of traffic safety, Chief. Uh, Frank, you're next on the Bill Kelly Show. Go ahead for the Chief. Good morning. Um, I'm on to my photo radar again, Chief. You know, okay. just, just take that young lad that was caught. First of all, I'd like to know from you, if you'd tell me, how, how was he caught? I hope I wasn't in a police chase, or you must have barricaded the, at, at that speed. You know, are, are God you help talking, the police uh, officer. Can you elaborate are you on that, please, first? Are you talking the stop on the QEW? Pardon me? Are you stop, talking about the stop where the person was doing 300K? Exactly, yes. Yeah, I, I don't know. That was the OPP, so I couldn't answer that question for you. I don't know. How All right, but again, get, getting on to photo radar, Chief, if he was, if he was not caught and he was caught on photo radar, at least we would catch him before he killed somebody. I, I think that, you know, I keep hammering on this. What's the holdup of trying to enforce some cameras or, or photo radar? Now, even in the city here, your, your force cannot keep up to all this. We have to have a backup to catch these people, to find them royally, take their licenses off, to provide safety for the rest of us. Yeah, Don't you think? Just to answer your question, Simple as it might say. Owner that would receive the ticket would have been the, the father in this case with the Mercedes, um, and not to be flippant, I don't know, there might have been a homicide uh, from dad uh, when he receives this ticket. Uh, but to your point, and I've been an advocate for photo radar uh, since it was first introduced, and it was not a popular item under the Harris government, uh, but I supported it. 
I do know there are provinces down east that employ it, particularly on the highways. Uh, I've always been an advocate for it just for the reasons you state, Frank. We can't be everywhere. Um, granted that the tickets are issued to the registered owner of the vehicle, uh, not necessarily the driver because, of course, you can't identify that. So uh, I'm in support of uh, more of that equipment. I'm in support of red light uh, ticket or red light um, cameras and what they do. I'm certainly in support of photo radar in uh, whether it's school safety zones or recurrent areas. Uh, we've talked about technology at the start of the show. Um, I've always been a supporter of it because if it changes the behavior, that's really the goal. The uh, point to be made here, though, and I appreciate the call, Frank, and I've. <laughs> I applaud your consistency on, on, on bringing this to our attention. This is a provincial matter, though, isn't it, Chief? I mean, you know, I, I know you've been supportive of this. I, I am supportive of photo radar. Uh, I still remember doing programs about that when, when Mike Harris was running uh, for election in 1995. He says, I'll scrap photo radar. It's a tax grab, blah, blah, blah. And he got elected, so he did that. Uh, I think the overwhelming majority of people that I've surveys I've seen right now support photo radar because they've seen what's going on, but it's going to have to be a provincial decision. They're the ones that make the decision whether or not we can do this. Even to have photo radar in the city, you have to get provincial uh, permission to be able to do that. Because, as you can recall, Chief, there were a number of people on city council that wanted to see photo radar on the link and on the Red Hill, and, the, and that's really a provincial decision. So, uh, Frank and, and others that are subscribing to this and thinking this is the way to go, talk to your MPPs because that's where the debate going to have to happen I, I we already know where your head is on this chief no agreed and uh, but as a you know uh, Frank raising it as a as an issue and to your point you know where are you going to make the changes with the legislation and through your MP so I agree with that um, but you know from a pu public traffic safety point of view I certainly agree with it so uh, yeah but I'm not in a position to uh, and we don't create the laws uh, we enforce the laws uh, so that is up to the legislators you're quite right and I mean, you use the example of red light cameras. I know there was a, a lot of pushback when we started instituting those here in the city, but you've got a, a body of work right now that suggests that they are effective. They don't end the, the problems, but they do certainly uh, decrease the numbers. So there's, a, I think, some science behind this as well. Sadly, we're out of time. Uh, lots more to talk about. Uh, I uh, we, we apologize for the calls that we couldn't get to today, but uh, a lot of ground to cover, and uh, we'll have to do this again very soon. Chief, as always, uh, to you and your staff and, uh, and all the frontline officers, uh, stay healthy and stay safe, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks a lot, Bill. Appreciate it, and always appreciate the time in the show. Take care. Hamilton Chief of Police Eric Gert with the Chiefs Town Hall. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.